Hey, it's Sky Chilton, founder of Real Mushrooms, and we sell organic medicinal mushroom extract powders. And I'm really excited today to be here on the Big Mouth Pharmacist podcast. My biggest pet peeve in the medicinal mushroom industry is uh, the lack of label transparency and mismarketing. There is a lot of products that uh, will say mushroom on the label. They might have a picture of a mushroom on the label as well. Uh, which contain no mushrooms at all. And there's just a lot of confusion there where we see whether it's consumers, practitioners, influencers who are out there talking about all the benefits of mushrooms and then promoting products that contain no mushrooms at all. Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist in Big Mouth, and I am here today to do shrooms. Settle in, grab your favorite tie-dye t-shirt, get a Grateful Dead album, sit back and relax, man, we're doing shrooms. Sky Chilton is here, and he's the founder and CEO of Real Mushrooms. He's going to be discussing with me the supplement category, mushrooms. We're going to talk about the extensive product quality concerns that plague the space. Sky's the son of mushroom guru Jeff Chilton. He's the founder of Namex, who is the leading supplier of organic mushroom extract ingredients to supplement companies all across the globe. So I guess if you could say real mushrooms is the fruiting body and Namex is the mycelium, I think. And you'll probably understand that joke better, hopefully after you listen to the podcast, but you'll probably realize that it's not that funny of a joke. But anyway, Jeff's been an instrumental figure in the creation of the now booming medicinal mushroom category. And he's going to be on in the future, I'm sure. We're going to be pals. But today we're going to talk to Sky about mushrooms, good, bad, and edible. Enjoy. Sky, how many times has somebody called you a fungi? <laughs> I mean, well, do you man. even like preemptively just say, listen, I'm a fun guy. All right, I get it. I get it. It's a funny joke. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so like the title I use on my email is chief mushroom fun guy. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't even call you fun guy cause we had a podiatrist on the podcast and we kept using that joke with him. So I can't <laughs> even use it. And I've got a t-shirt that says fun guy on it that I wear at trade shows. That's good. Yeah. So, um, I've heard that all mushrooms are either going to kill you or get you wasted. So how true is that statement? <laughs> Yeah, that was a, <laughs> I just saw a funny little meme the other day about mushrooms and it was like they created the medicinal side where they can heal you. They created the other ones, which are food, and then they created a separate type that can kill you. Yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting how mushrooms have uh, such a profound effects in humans, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about a bit. So like when I teach people about supplements, I teach them that there's a difference between the ingredients and the products, right? So there's there's the mushroom ingredients and everything that we can postulate about with mushrooms. And then there's the products that people are actually buying, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to go through that. We'll talk first about the ingredients themselves, mushrooms and just mushrooms in general. And then we'll talk about the products and the quality controls and how consumers can, you know, be on guard there. So... Um, so I guess 
can you speak about the history of mushrooms medicinally? Like, uh, wh why are people using them? Why have people used them? And, you know, how long has this been going on kind of a thing? Yeah, I mean, mushrooms have been just a great food source for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at traditionally in China, I mean, they've been consuming mushrooms for thousands of years, mm -hmm. uh, which you can trace back in some of the literature. And they've been growing mushrooms since the early 1300s. So that's where the first mushroom cultivation began was in China. And they've used it for a food there forever. You know, every time we go over, so we go and visit every year. And, you know, I eat more mushrooms there in, in two weeks than I will basically <laughs> for the rest of the year back home because they have so much access to high quality mushrooms and different varieties. And it's just a, a staple in their diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, are, so they're using it mostly for just food consumption, but there's obviously health benefits. So like what, what are they using it medicinally mostly, or is it mostly just for food? Sure. I mean, there's, yeah, the traditional Chinese medicine where a lot of it, you know, it gets used for a lot of different ailments, whether it's, you know, reishi is a very popular one and TCM, uh, as well as cordyceps is a big one over there too. I mean, yeah, just as a food alone, you've got um, a lot of like vitamins and minerals. Now, if you've seen the recent study out of Singapore, which talked about uh, where they looked at people who ate higher concentrations of mushrooms, um, lived longer, um, had less uh, neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and they're thinking it's due to uh, the compound ergothionine, uh, which they're looking at as potentially like the next vitamin. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, well, I want to, we're going to talk about like all the different pharmacological magic sauce stuff that's going on. But uh, before we get to that, like the, your dad's got an interesting story about mushrooms, right? And there's like a whole interesting backstory there. I think most of my listeners may not know that whole gig. So yeah, so walk us through that. Yeah, my dad, Jeff Chilton, he's been involved with mushrooms for, let's see, over 40, closing on 50 years now. And so he started working on a mushroom farm in Washington state, which was mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest mushroom farms in the U S growing just the button mushroom mm -hmm. and started, you know, learning the ropes there. And, you know, it for growing mushrooms is not the funnest job because you're dealing with a lot of compost all the time. Got it. Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty smelly and like really steamy and hot. And most people don't like it yet. Mm -hmm. He just, he loved it. Yeah. And, and so they uh, sent him over to the Netherlands where he learned more about uh, the different cultivation techniques over there because they were sort of the leaders in uh, agaricus mushroom production. Uh, so he learned a lot there, worked his way up to manager. And then at this company, they had a Japanese scientist on staff who was starting to cultivate these more culinary strains of mushrooms. So they were actually one of the first farms to grow the shiitake mushroom in the US. And so they're growing enoki as well and a few other ones, but uh, the market just wasn't ready for something other than the button mushroom yet. But that sort of set them on the path of, hey, there's these other mushrooms out there and I wanna learn more about them. Mm -hmm. So then um, he started learning more about the medicinal side of mushrooms. Um, in the early 80s, he published uh, one of the top mushroom cultivation books called The Mushroom Cultivator. Uh, and then uh, he started traveling through China in the late 80s and going to mushroom conferences, specifically medicinal mushroom related, uh, making contacts because that's you know where everything was happening. 
that's where 90% of all mushrooms come from now is China. Mm. Uh, and so he made a lot of contacts, started importing extract powders. And then in the mid nineties, he brought over organic certifiers because he was really concerned about the quality side of things and really uh, involved in just the organic food movement as a whole. Uh, and so he wanted to bring that to China and he brought over the first certifiers and they started uh, setting up organic growers. And then by the late nineties, uh, he had one of the first companies that was selling organic mushroom extracts to North America. And so during this whole period, I mean, he's always been concerned about quality and then making sure, you know, it does what it says it does. And is it consistent with the literature? Um, do those compounds that they talk about in the literature, are they actually present in the products? And right. can we translate that? And that's sort of the important piece there that all of us comes back to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting story. And I was reading about him and like how he pretty much has been one of the major forces of bringing this to our country, but then also those quality standards to China, which is mm -hmm. really interesting. So the, um, so a lot of my listeners, uh, you know, <laughs> so here's, here's something kind of funny. So my, <laughs> my staff, I always ask them, so what questions should I ask? And, and one of the, <laughs> the staff members is like, I don't even know what mushrooms are or do. So there's probably like a good chunk of people out there that may have heard that mushrooms are good medicinally. So let's, let's really break it down for people. So what are the common mushrooms that uh, people can, can see? Which ones are you involved in? you know, from a supplement therapeutic kind of standpoint? Sure. Yeah. So the main mushrooms that we typically sell is uh, reishi, chaga, uh, shiitake, maitake, turkey tail, cordyceps, lion's mane, and probably tremella. Those are kind of the big eight or so right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, we can get into some of the sort of applications if we want to. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the medicinal mushrooms are based around immunity. Um, they have these compounds in there called beta-glucans, which are complex carbohydrates. Uh, and so these beta-glucans help to modulate our immune system. Um, so they call them immunomodulators. And so if you think about, say, if somebody is sick uh, and their immune system is suppressed, uh, these are gonna help bring your immune system back up. And then on the flip side, if you have, say, allergies, so an overstimulation of your immune system, uh, it can help to rein that back in. And so with medicinal mushrooms, it's a lot about bringing balance to your body. And there's certainly other compounds in some of the mushrooms that are more distinct, but a lot of it is based around these beta-glucan compounds, which are immunomodulators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what are some of the other compounds? You had mentioned that very interesting uh, compound that's going to be a, a future vitamin. So um, besides beta-glucans, what is it that we're looking for when, we, when we're looking for mushrooms? Yeah, beta-glucans is the big one. Uh, there's certainly other compounds like, so lion's mane has a few interesting compounds, uh, hericinones and arenosines, uh, which uh, they're starting to show can stimulate uh, nerve growth factor, uh, which can help with certain uh, neurogenesis type properties in relation to whether it's cognitive function or uh, neurodegenerative diseases, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty promising in that sense. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the research ends up showing. Um, the tough thing about that is currently we can't measure any of these compounds, so they're 
very hard to actually get standards for and try to measure. So we don't really know if they end up in the actual product. So that's always a big one that we're explaining to our own customers about that. Um, so let's let's oh, actually, yeah. before, you, before you go any further, let's help people understand that concept because there's a lot of smack talking in this industry about all the things that uh, their supplements have or the, the, the ingredients may have. But then, like you said, are we even getting it? Are we even absorbing it? So, so explain to me that gap. So how do we know that these compounds exist in these mushrooms if we can't measure them? Sure. So, yeah, that's certainly a big issue. And a lot of times you'll see uh, with products is... Uh, it'll say, you know, contains X, Y, and Z different compounds, blah, 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 um, with no actual measurements on them. And so that's kind of a big thing where it's like, you know, a lot of products will say, oh, mushrooms are a good source of vitamin D. But uh, if you don't expose them to UV light, the amount of vitamin D is pretty much negligible. Mm -hmm. um, so... We want to try to find standardized methods that third-party labs can run so you can send it out to just about any lab and get consistent results. Mm -hmm. That's what a, you know, a verified lab method will do. And so with uh, beta-glucans, we do have a method that is consistent and verifiable that most labs can run so that we can verify these compounds in the actual mushroom. And so all of our products, we put it in the supplements panel of the amount of beta-glucans that is at least in that product. Um, and because this is kind of a little tip, if you have something in the supplements panel, it's like legit, uh, you know, you can be, the FDA can come down on you if you don't meet label claims like that versus say in our marketing copy on the website saying it contains X amount of compounds. Right. So got it. when it's in the supplements panel, that's like a much bigger deal. And so if you look at most products, they won't make any claims in their supplements panel. Right. They'll just say that it's the X amount of mushroom and that's it. And then their marketing copy is just making all the fake claims, like I said, talking smack about yeah. what could potentially be in there. So, so there aren't tests for a lot of these other like healthful compounds is what you're saying. There's no validated tests yet. Yeah. So like the research is, you know, it's like small research. Most of the mushroom research comes out of Asia. Um, and they're, you know, they'll have to synthesize these compounds themselves and try and run their own tests. And they're, you know, in some cases they're creating their own method, mm -hmm. um, and then trying to get access. So you basically need a standard to test against. So it's basically a cure, a pure compound. Mm -hmm. So you need to take the mushrooms, kind of distill it down and pull out this compound in a pure form that you can then test a sample against. So right. that's how most of the testing works for some of these uh, compounds. And so obtaining a standard is really hard. Um, it can cost, who knows, anywhere from $20,000 to $50,000 to get a standard, mm -hmm. which doesn't last forever either. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to find a reliable method that can be reproduced. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of the trickiness comes in because getting a lab or even doing it in-house to create a method and the equipment for it is very expensive. I mean, we've looked at some of the lion's mane compounds to try and get them measured and we've been quoted like over a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And so 
that's for the above and beyond stuff. You're trying to, you know, really prove that you guys are doing it right. And, uh, and it's so expensive. So that's where there's a gap. And then obviously just with the basic quality test, that's where a lot of people are, are cutting corners and we'll, we'll kind of get to that, but I, that's a, that's an interesting perspective that people probably don't understand. So mm-hmm. thank you for bringing that up. So, so I interrupted you, we were talking about cordyceps and what kinds of compounds are found in there? Sure. Yeah. Like cordyceps often gets touted for things like adenosine, um there's another one it's like interesting the sort of mismarketing that happens around cordyceps so mm-hmm. the most like kind of famous cordyceps product has been cs4 so it's cordyceps is such an interesting one because um most people know the caterpillar fungus if they know cordyceps okay so i don't know any of okay <laughs> so we can dive into it so yeah, do it yeah so out on um, basically in the Tibet sort of China region there, the Tibetan plateau, um, there is this mushroom that grows there, which is Cordyceps sinensis. And so Cordyceps is um, it actually attacks other insects and sort of consumes them. If you've seen like the BBC Planet Earth thing, they've got a whole piece on it about it uh, attacking ants. So there's a lot of different species of Cordyceps and they all attack a specific insect. And so this cordyceps actually attacks a moth um, and then the moth kind of buries itself in the ground. And then in the spring, um, the mushroom sort of consumes the whole body and shoots up this little piece of uh, a fruiting body, um, which they call uh, summer grass winter worm is sort of the Chinese translation of it. Uh, And so it's been used in uh, sort of traditional Chinese medicine for a long time as a tonic herb um, to kind of deal with uh, lung issues, fatigue. Um, they give it to older people. Um, but over the last 20 to 30 years, the price tag of that has just gone astronomical. So, um, uh, just because of limited supply. And so the other thing is that they've never, uh, well, they can cultivate it now, but it's still at a really low scale. So for the longest time, they couldn't actually cultivate this thing because they couldn't figure out the interaction between it and the insect. Yeah. And so what they ended up creating was a mycelium-based product called Cordyceps CS4. So if you look up CS4 in PubMed, you'll find a bunch of studies around it. And so they've sort of found that uh, this liquid fermentation mycelium, which is a pure mycelium uh, that I'm sure we'll start discussing later on, uh, had a lot of similar properties to the actual uh, authentic kind of caterpillar fungus. So if you look it up online, you'll see it's got a fruiting body head and then this caterpillar attached to it uh it's pretty really quite interesting um and and so it's there's a lot of sort of uh myth around it too so uh during the 80s uh it got touted highly because um a bunch of uh chinese uh, track and field runners broke all these world records and their coach kind of claimed it was uh cordyceps and turtle blood but Uh, it was really something else (laughs) But uh, yeah, later on, uh, their coach got banned because uh, a bunch of his athletes were doping. Um, <laughs> and so it was kind of that whole area in sports when there was just a lot of doping going on. But if right. you look at uh, this one <laughs> event, there's a ton of records from there that still stand today, which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy. And so it's like nobody professional athletes aren't taking cordyceps you know like or turtle blood or turtle I blood right yeah. <laughs> i haven't seen the rock do that in his regimen at all yeah exactly <laughs> uh so it's got this like super interesting history uh and so but then they figured out so yeah because you couldn't actually 
cultivate this thing, they made a pure mycelium product. And then uh, recently they figured out how to cultivate a different species called Cordyceps militaris. Um, and so it's, this is a kind of like an orange noodle-like mushroom, uh, which has been really cool for us to see that come to market because it's cultivatable without any insects. So, and then we can scale it up too and it's get mass market production. Whereas the Cordyceps sinensis, uh, they're still, they figured out how to do it in China. So they're actually cultivating the moth and then uh, inoculating the moth with the species and growing it out like that. But it's still, wow. I mean, the wild stuff is over $20,000 a kilo. Oh my God. So, yeah. So there's like another thing where it's like some products are claiming that they have it in the product and it's like, you know, but ingredient is so expensive that either it's going to be in the tiniest, tiniest amount, or mm -hmm. there's something going wrong there. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, somebody came in the other day and was talking about pomegranate supplements and they're like, wow, your pomegranate seed oil is $30. And I can't believe that I can get it for $10. I'm like, have you bought a pomegranate lately? Like pomegranates are insanely expensive and then you're going to concentrate the seed oil. And oil. so there, there's like a minimum cost to this stuff, you know? So yeah. when the ingredient itself is 20,000 a kilo, if you're not paying 70, $80 a bottle, you're not getting it, you know? So. Yeah. And so, yeah, the one of the things, one of the compounds that gets touted with cordyceps is cordycepic acid, which is pretty funny because uh, so in the 70s and 80s, they were looking for marker compounds in cordyceps. And this was one of the compounds that they found and they called it cordycepic acid. Mm -hmm. And it, it turned out it was just mannitol, which is <laughs> basically in every medicinal mushroom. So a lot of these like compounds they tout for cordyceps get found in other mushrooms too, but one of the yeah. ones, uh, so Cordyceps militaris, which is the one you can grow and cultivate, uh, and the one we use for the majority of our products, is um, has a compound called Cordycepin, which is, so that's like a unique compound to Cordyceps militaris. So Cordyceps sinensis contains almost none of this compound that they've shown to actually be like a really good antioxidant. Um, so it has some really cool properties to it if you look up Cordyceps and PubMed. Very cool. So you had brought up a couple of things that I think we should talk about too, basically the parts of a mushroom, the anatomy of a mushroom. So you had talked about the fruiting body and the mycelium and stuff. Can you just kind of, I know it's an audio podcast, so it pictures a thousand words at least. So <laughs> yeah. can you kind of describe it to us so we understand what we're, we're talking about? Yeah. So when we're talking about the mushroom, uh, typically everyone is used to seeing what's in the grocery store, which is, uh, so that's the mushroom itself. It's also known as the fruiting body or sporocarp. Um, but there's also other parts to this, uh, say, we'll say fungal species, where we starts with a spore, uh, which is almost like a, it's like a seed, but not exactly a seed. And so that thing will uh, fly around, it'll germinate, and it'll start to grow roots. And so the roots are actually called mycelium. Um, and so the mycelium is sort of the root system or body of this fungus, um, which also can be called uh, the vegetative body. Uh, and once, and it's gonna start gathering nutrients, and once the environmental conditions are right, it will produce a mushroom. Mm -hmm. And then once the mushroom is at full maturity, it will release spores, and so your life cycle will start over. And so yeah. the different stages is really important when we're talking with mushroom products because uh, mushrooms get used in supplements as well as mycelium and there's uh, a few spore products as well. Mm. 
Uh, interesting. So the I guess we can start moving towards that. The the idea. Well, you know what? I got another one that came up. The wood wide web. Wood wide web. The wood wide web. Have you heard of this concept? No. That mushrooms talk to each other, and then like, ah. and it's like uh, they, and they, it's called the wood wide web. I didn't know that such a thing existed, but one of uh, the staff members wanted to know more about it. If you know anything about the inner uh, communication between mushroom species, and how do we dial into that, and what kind of speed modem do we need? You know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've definitely heard of that, but I haven't heard it called the wood wide web. Yeah, it's just some cheesy American thing, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a TED Talk, maybe. I <laughs> I don't think I've actually watched it, but I've definitely heard a few people reference it. Of mm-hmm. uh, So they're like these fungal species communicating with each other or communicating in nature and uh, it's sort of being uh, almost one big ecosystem right. that can talk to each other, almost like a Gaia Earth type thing. Right, so like... Uh the the freaking uh the movie there what the hell is that movie like uh avatar or something avatar yeah it was just like avatar right yeah. and the and uh, they're all talking to each other and we're like what do they say to each other like do they talk and smack are they uh you know like trying to fight each other for turf i don't know it's just it seems <laughs> yeah. silly anyway but the let's go into the science a bit so um when we talk about botanical products one of the things that i try to educate people around is the idea of the whole herb or whole plant Mm-hmm. and an extract mm-hmm. and so what role does that play in mushrooms the idea sure. that we're going to use the whole thing or are we going to be using a part of the thing and pulling out what's what's in there yeah that can definitely be misconstrued misconstrued on a few different levels there but mm-hmm. so generally with mushrooms so what we're buying in the grocery store that kind of thing mm-hmm. um the cell of the mushroom is actually made up of a compound called chitin Um, So it's similar to what crustaceans make their shells out of. So it's very tough and we don't have the actual enzymes to break this down in our body. Um, And so when we're eating mushrooms as a food, uh, this actually makes mushrooms a really good source of dietary fiber to help feed our guts. Mm -hmm. But if we want access to those medicinal compounds that are locked up inside the cell, um, it actually doesn't do a good job. So that's where the extraction component comes in, where we're typically cooking uh, these mushrooms, at least with hot water and potentially alcohol. And the hot water is going to break down the cell wall and allow us to get access to these compounds. Mm -hmm. Hot water extracts is what we tell people. The the idea of uh, like how do most people eat mushrooms and it's in soups, you know, Mm -hmm. or teas. Yeah. so and they do that because then it's it's having this extraction process where you're getting access to those ingredients. So um, we've talked about the pharmacologically active compounds that are found in mushrooms. So when we talk about the mycelium and the the fruiting body and all of these different parts, like so, what kinds of supplements are using each? Of the different things. So like if you buy a lion's mane product, as you had mentioned, is that always going to be the the mushroom itself, or is it going to be Yeah, it's going to depend brand to brand. And so the interesting thing with mushrooms is that we can grow mushrooms for the fresh market here in North America. So we've got the the button mushroom in the grocery stores. We're starting to see more of the culinary ones in Whole Foods like Mm -hmm. shiitake or oyster. Um, Maybe there's some wild mushrooms when they're in season. Uh, But the thing with mushrooms is that they're roughly 90% moisture content. Mm-hmm. And all of uh, the ac- the extracts start 
with a dried mushroom. So we're taking a dried mushroom, we're turning it into a powder, and then we're extracting it. And so this is where the economics of mushroom growing starts to break down as a ingredient source uh, for North America. And so if we say, so shiitake is probably one of the cheapest culinary mushrooms to grow last year. Uh, the average price was around $5 a pound for the grower. So that's around $10 a kilo um, and as a fresh market item. Um, but if we dry that out, where 90% of this product is actually water, we actually get 10% of the weight. And so what we need to get is 10 times that value to get an equivalent fresh market value. Uh, so this is where the mass starts to break down. And this is why in North America, if it says, say, U.S. grown, it's most likely doesn't contain mushrooms because it's basically too expensive to grow mushrooms in North America for supplement use. We can grow them for the fresh market, but the mass starts to break down. Um, so if you think about, say, this shiitake that now we have to get $100 a kilo for, um, but then you have turning into a powder, extracting it, turning it back into a powder. And that's just a simple one-to-one -one extract. You know, mm -hmm. we have extracts that are 16 to one extracts where we have 16 right. kilos going to make one kilo and you're getting up into like the thousands of dollars range and shiitake is one of the cheapest ones. So this is why a lot of products uh, on the marketplace actually don't contain mushrooms. Um, they get made from what's called uh, myceliated grain. Um, and so instead of growing mushrooms, companies will grow the root system. So they'll grow mycelium that we discussed about earlier. They'll grow this on a grain substrate um, and then they'll take this sort of myceliated grain log. They'll dry that, they'll powder it, they'll sell that as a mushroom supplement and there's no mushrooms in it. Right, no active ingredient, no mushrooms, no nothing, right? Uh, because it's just the foundational root system. Yeah. So, so they're not even taking like culinary mushrooms and like chopping those up and putting them into the capsule. They're talking about like precursors. Yeah. So basically the root system uh, that grows out on a grain and it's basically you basically can't separate. So it's interesting with mycelium is because uh, in Asia, most of like the mycelium research. So there's good research on mycelium. Like I talked about earlier with Cordyceps CS4, which is a pure mycelium product. Um, in Asia, they use what's called liquid fermentation. So you can actually cultivate mycelium in a liquid uh, and then drain the liquid at the end and you have pure mycelium. Uh, whereas in North America, where they're using what's called solid state fermentation, where you're growing the mycelium on a solid substrate, in this case grain, is that you cannot separate the two. Um, so it becomes this indistinguishable mass that then gets dried and powdered with the grain still there. Right. And so yeah. what, what? Probably mostly grain, right? Yeah. So what my father did about four years ago now, uh, so we published a report where we went out and we tested the actual mushroom, we tested extract powders, and then we tested these myceliated grain products just to look at, the, so we looked at beta-glucans, which is sort of a main indicator of fungal kind of tissue because most of that cell wall are these beta-glucans. And then we looked at the starches and other parts, uh, which are alpha-glucans. And we found that these myceliated grain products have really low levels of the main active component, which is the basic glucans, 
and really high levels of starch. And this just kind of is contrary to their message that says the mycelium consumes all the grain and what you're left with is mainly mycelium. Uh, but it's actually just not true. I mean, we see these high levels of starch, which can only come from the grain itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, they're, <laughs> they've got a little bit of fungus on rice and that's what you're being sold. Yeah. So the, the um, example that we use for that is, uh, do you know uh, the food product tempeh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tempeh is a food product out of Asia where they take cooked soybeans and they put a fungus on it. Mm -hmm. and they grow out uh, sort of a white grain cake, and this gets sold as a food product. Um, so this is basically the exact same thing where we're taking a grain, we're putting a fungus on it and growing it out, but instead of just eating it as a food product, it's getting dried and powdered and put into capsules and sold at an exponentially high price yeah. and being marketed as mushrooms. People are gonna point to research papers, mm -hmm. primarily from China and Japan, that are based on pure mycelium. Mm -hmm. And then they're gonna use that as an argument to say this grain-based mycelium is equivalent and they're right. completely separate products. They're calling the rice a cultured food and it's like this cultured grain that is a healthy source of, I don't even know what, um, and like saying the product is sort of akin to like yogurt fermentation. So the big sort of buzzword right now is fermented uh, because that's just getting a lot of market play. And so you'll see now like fermented mushrooms is there's like a product out there that talks about fermented. Um, and because they're using this solid state fermentation, they're saying it's a fermented product. Uh, but, uh, you know, fermentation acts on your source material. Um, right. So, so milk is, you know, I mean, yogurt is cultured milk. Sauerkraut is cultured cabbage. Um, now we're having, they're talking about fermented mushrooms when it's really cultured rice, <laughs> right. cultured grain. Right. Uh, and so, and then each of those, you know, like yogurt has its own name. Sauerkraut has its own name. Mm -hmm. Yet these products are kind of trying to push and say mushroom. So right. there's just endless, endless uh mismarketing and confusion that they're putting out in the marketplace and kind of saying that, you know, the mycelium is producing all these other magical compounds because it's, so they're saying, you know, in nature, so in nature, the mycelium has to react to bacteria and molds and uh, other competing fungi. And so it has these sort of anti, you know, defense mechanisms where it's going to secrete certain compounds to, so like, a lot of mushrooms are antifungal because they're competing against other fungus. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. But when you're growing mycelium on rice, you're growing it in a sterilized bag. There's no competition. Right. It's a monoculture. So, right. So those compounds aren't going to be uh, excreted or secreted. And, and then it's like if you push them and say, okay, what are these compounds? Can you name them? Right. Okay. You named a few. Can you measure them? Can you show them that they're there? Like if... You know, if over 50% of the product is grain and the main active component, beta-glucan, which makes up the majority of the cell wall, is not there in a significant amount, that's a pretty good indicator that there is very little mycelium there. Right, at all. Yeah, and we see that in our, like, test results, too. It's just like... <laughs> Same thing happens with 
whole food and multivitamins. They, they talk about how it's a whole food multivitamin and it's essentially yeast and they feed it synthetic vitamins. And I, I don't remember taking brewer's yeast and scooping it in my mouth and being like, mm, this is a tasty meal. You know, it's, it's nutritional, but it's not food, you know? And uh, so... Yeah, my dad was just talking to somebody about that and he was just ripping on the whole like whole food <laughs> vitamin thing. Oh, it's such a mess. I actually do a webinar called Throw Away Your Multivitamin because I think multivitamins are so lame. I've only found one, like maybe two or three brands that are actually using true food, um, like extract process dehydration in a proper manner. And yeah. then the hard part is standardizing to know if you're getting the individual isolates. But the argument that I make is that the isolates don't matter. We know that taking these multivitamin compounds don't have a, a an outcome impact. It doesn't change heart attacks or strokes or longevity of your life so right. why bother right so if you're deficient in something take the def the thing to stop the deficiency vitamin d but mm -hmm. taking a multivitamin whether it's whole food or not it's kind of like eh, what the heck do you really need that for you know yeah it's just like eh, i'm kind of like feeling down I'll just throw this down and it'll take care of everything right <laughs> right one of the indicators that we've always kind of told people is that beta-glucans and the compounds that are found in mushrooms are, are horribly bitter so if you to open your mushroom capsules and put them on your tongue and it's not horribly bitter, there's a good chance that's just like a, a yardstick uh, measurement to, to determine if there's any active mushrooms in there. Do, have you heard of that method? Yeah, so we actually use that for reishi. So um, most of the, like, the mushrooms won't be that bitter, I'd say. So the thing with bitterness, it comes from, so reishi has these uh, triterpenes in there, which have a lot of the important benefits as well. So that's mm -hmm. kind of one of the secondary components of reishi and we do we can measure triterpenes uh and so these triterpenes give reishi their really bitter flavor so if you taste like and if you taste one of our reishi products i mean your face is probably going to cringe if you're not used to bitterness like if you're yeah. used to like eating a lot of sugar and try yeah. that like yeah. mm -hmm. i mean sort of the kind of the worst reviews that we get on the product are around taste Wow. Um, <laughs> Even though you're like, that means it's real. That's, yeah, that's how that's, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things, because it's funny, like one of the other marketing messages that these mycelia grain products use is no mushroom flavor. Uh, Just really think, funny. think about that for a second. Right. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's asking, why is there no mushroom flavor? Right. <laughs> saying oh that that's a, an added benefit for me. It's yeah. like, uh, and uh, so aloe is often sold in pharmacies and it's like, clear crystal clear or like they put green dye mm. on it oh, yeah. and and it should be dark brown and gross looking but you know that's too unappealing for us so so it's like devoid of actual aloe yeah. um so so you're you're kind of saying that most people are are more likely to get poorly made mushrooms than well-made mushrooms a lot of the times yeah definitely so, yeah so there's a, you're going to a store and it has a picture of a mushroom in it but inside at best you're going to get this grain uh, thing with a little bit of mycelium on it and mm -hmm. it's not going to be providing you the health benefits that you need so so if we were to mass produce so and also the one thing i, I kind of got out of that is that so does your company not um grow mushrooms why is that economic difference exist i guess you said in north america it's difficult to grow uh, mushrooms for supplement use but in asia i'm assuming that it's just cheaper to do like and what's that difference about yeah so it's definitely cheaper i mean the other advantage is that they've been doing it for 800 years mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. they've been doing strain development they've been doing research there's 
you know, they produce 90% of the world's mushrooms. So they have scale there mm -hmm. through economics mm -hmm. to make it a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and then they've got, you know, research and institutes that are dedicated to mushrooms. Uh, there's conferences there that are solely dedicated to mushrooms. Like it's mm -hmm. so much more ingrained in the culture over there mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's going to be cheaper, certainly due to labor and other mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Um, but that is the Mecca of mushroom growing there. Right. You know, that's so, where it all happens. So then all of the North American producers of mushrooms are, are really, do, you guys are doing the, the, the culinary stuff, the food stuff. But then if you are, you're doing raw materials for supplements, you're just bringing it in from overseas. Yeah. So we've had, um, existing partnerships, uh, with our suppliers in China for roughly about 20 years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we work with them to create specific extract specifications, um, so that they can create the products to our own uh, liking. Mm -hmm. um, and so we go and visit every year and we do, you know, we go visit the farms. So we're going over next month here in September to check out the reishi harvest. Um, you know, shiitake might be into, maybe the maitake might be starting. So we like to go check out the farms. We, you know, have a lot of business meetings. And then there's also a uh, medicinal mushroom conference that's happening there too. Uh, where a lot of the top scientists are going to be, so that's really cool. So the you had said that you had made it to your specification. So let's talk about that. So what kind of, um, I guess, competitive advantages or or like science or thought process goes into how you guys are deciding what your mushroom extracts and such should look like? Sure. So basically, so the other thing, there's definitely we talked about how it. You know, we've got the myceliate grain part. Uh, with sort of North American grown products. Uh, but also, I mean, certainly there's reason to be wary of China um, for sure. And so, you know, for one, we start with organic mushrooms. Um, they're certified by German certification companies. Uh, then th those go through an initial vetting process where they get, you know, sent out for pesticides, sent out for heavy metals uh, before it starts through the extraction. And, and we try and create a sort of profile on each mushroom of where we like to see it at. So we're running tests on the mushroom itself, and then we're doing more tests on the finished product where we're looking at sort of the beta-glucan content, the alpha-glucan content. We're running nutritional profiles so that we are building like an overall profile of the mushroom itself plus each one of our products so we know where it should fall in on a certain range um, and so the biggest thing, uh, with products coming out of China, where everyone's kind of worried about heavy metals and pesticides is actually, uh, more on the filler side of things. Um, so we get pitched by a lot of different companies, uh, and every now and then, you know, we accept samples just to do some tests yeah. and, and most of the time we find they've full of fillers and, um, I mean, our products are on the expensive side and like some of these companies have, you know, dirt cheap products and that's kind of across the board for supplements too, uh, where we're seeing that. And it's like, we analyze it and like, okay, wow. Like most of this, so is filler, which can be like dextrose or maltodextrin or something like that, that gets added in at the final, um, extract step where they're turning it back into a powder, uh, where you can like cut it down. And, and the nice thing about <laughs> adding fillers is that it, you know, can you have an inert carrier 
that can dilute any sort of, you know, whether it's heavy metals or pesticides or things like that, right. uh, it's going to dilute that down. And then, you know, you've got a clean product to sell, uh, mm-hmm. which isn't pure at all. And, you know, it's mostly what you're paying for is kind of carrier. And so these are a lot of the fail safes that we put in place to ensure quality. So, we, you know, we're testing for heavy metals and pesticides, you know, it could be up to three times by the time the finished product comes out. Wow. Uh, and then we're looking at this, the beta-glucans to make sure those are meeting a certain level, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the alpha-glucans, which sort of guards against any sort of carriers. Got it. The, um, are there other contaminants besides the common offenders, pesticides, or besides heavy metals that we have to be concerned with um, from a mushroom standpoint? No, not so much. I mean, there's certainly microbiologicals, but I mean, that's you know usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. No real concerns there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's uh, some stuff with, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, there's certain like adulteration through using different mushrooms per se. So mm-hmm. we uh, looked at one product where, so this is where our beta-glucan testing comes in is um, we got some products, uh, tested them and found, found a chaga product to have a really high beta-glucan content. Um, so chaga is typically one of the lowest for beta-glucans. Um, so this was sort of a red flag right off the bat. Uh, and then we weren't really sure what was going on. Um, so we sent it out for DNA analysis and, you know, it didn't have any chaga in it. You know, it was a totally different <laughs> mushroom that was, right. like, you know, increasing the beta-glucan count. Uh, and so that's where, you know, there's a lot of different levels of, you know, d- DNA authentication, which we do on a regular basis. Um, as well as like pesticides, heavy metals, the micro microbiological components, that kind of thing, as well as ensuring active compounds are there too. Let's talk about the idea of wood growing versus grain growing. Um, okay. Uh, because that's a big thing, right? Uh, the idea that it has to be wood grown in order for it to be the most beneficial. And what does wood growing mean? Is it logs or is it sawdust? What does it look like? Sure. Yeah. So the, the one just kind of piece on that where so when we're talking about the myceliated grain, a lot of people get confused with, okay, the mushrooms are grown on grain and the good ones are grown on wood. Uh, but we kind of need to separate those out and remember that there's no like mushrooms coming off this myceliated grain log. It's just mycelium and grain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where some people get confused when I see comments online about people having our message, but you know, getting it a little bit mixed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the majority of mushrooms are grown on a sawdust substrate. So you'll take sawdust, they'll enrich it um, with a couple different nutrients. And then that gets uh, put into bags that get sterilized. And then you basically inoculate the mushroom culture into it. And uh, those will get, this is in China anyways, most of the mushrooms are all grown in shade houses. So they all get grown in sort of natural ambient temperatures out in the countryside. Um, so it'll be sort of a shade type house, typically made of like bamboo uh, and it'll be covered and you'll just kind of grow it with the seasons. So the reishi gets harvested in September, um, shiitake and maitake get harvested in kind of October, November. Um, Tremella happens a little bit after that. Uh, cordyceps uh, is in there. They kind of wait till it gets a little bit cooler. Um, but most of them all get grown off a wood-based substrate. Got it. Yeah, that's a, a big marketing point, at least with a lot of the different brands, um, you know, to make people aware of it. So yeah, the so yeah, so let's do 
kind of for the last bit of our episode here, uh, a consumer's guide to buying supplements, especially mushroom supplements and such. So um, I guess are there tips that people can do? Uh, it's hard to look at a package and know all of this depth that you've talked about. So Yeah, I mean, I was just talking to a customer this morning who sent me a bunch of links and she was like, oh, I, you know, I don't know how to sort through all this stuff. And, and it's, it's really hard. I mean, I look at products every week and some of them I can't even figure out because the messaging is so convoluted and contradictory. Yeah. Uh, but typically we, you know, we tell customers to look for, make sure it's made from the mushroom. Um, so fruiting body, um, make sure it's organic. Mm, that's another big one. Uh, make sure it's extracted. So you want an extract powder Mm-hmm. And then make sure it measures uh, the beta-glucans. Um, and so that's sort of the big four that we look at when kind of recommending products to people. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it can be, it can definitely be tough. I mean. Yeah. I, and I, this is our message is about the quality and supplements and how uh, most people are looking at the front of the bottle, which is all marketing. That's how I tell people the front panel is marketing. You should be looking at the supplement facts panel because that's going to tell the, the, the greatest truth. But even then you're only kind of hitting the surface and you don't know mm-hmm. about all the different processes and procedures that went in place to make sure that you are getting what, what they're marketing you to get. Yeah, I mean, even the supplement panel still can be not correct. Um, so it's interesting when you look at it from, so with uh, companies, so we have myceliated grain products out there, um, but a lot of these products have actually been purchased from the suppliers directly. And so when the companies are purchasing this ingredient, they believe that they're buying mushrooms. Um or, and that's sort of what they've been led to believe, even though maybe some of the material they're getting might say otherwise, but they're thinking mushrooms. And then they're going and creating their own product label, believing that it's mushrooms. And then so you get this product coming out that, who knows, it could say like reishi mushroom right in the supplements panel and not be that at all. Uh, and so one of the initiatives um, that we pushed forward, so my dad kind of pushed this forward through a lot of our education uh, with the uh, American, American Herbal um, Products Association, APA. Uh, so that was two years ago, put in a whole new uh, mushroom supplements labeling guideline, which uh, came into effect this year, but it's still there's a lot of companies that aren't following it. I mean, they don't have to follow it. It's a labeling guideline, um, and you're supposed to properly label the plant part of the fungus that you're using. Um, But there's still companies either sort of hiding behind the proprietary blend wording. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It's still really tricky. I mean, one of the customers this morning that I was talking to was like, she knew a lot of our content and she's like, yeah, I'm looking for mushroom. And, um, but this one says it's made in the U S but I know that made in the U S typically means myceliated grain and i went and checked it out and i'm like okay it's definitely extracts coming from china but they've got made in the usa badges on it just because the product itself is made in the us right so the ingredients are not and so that's like more confusion right so uh just a quick thought i had is like i'm sure this is a complicated answer but there's a lot of brands that are making mushroom products there's you know, probably dozens, if not hundreds, right, in the U.S. alone. But 
is it one of those deals where you can kind of count on your hand the number of people that are doing it correctly? Or is it, do you feel like a majority of those people are doing it correctly? Or do you, and there's just some rogue outliers? Or is it like a majority of the industry, like the bell curve is, is, is pretty solid where like the middle is like mediocre garbage, some dangerous stuff, and then all the good players? I mean, there's a lot of products that get made from mycelia grain. Mm-hmm. Um, most of, I'd say, the retail space is probably dominated by it. Yeah. Maybe less so in the online space. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just there without, you know, the the big one is just that, you know, that measurement of beta-glucans, which, yeah. I mean, if companies put that on the label, that would be a big indicator big indicator Um, yeah yeah i just didn't know if it was something where you're like oh yeah there's like only five companies in u.s that are actually doing the right thing (laughs) you know um or is you know yeah i mean there's there's some other good brands for sure Mm -hmm. um but yeah a lot of it is kind of few and far between yeah so then you know my wrap on all of supplementation is is food first you know we want you to have a great diet and and people are out there uh eating mushrooms incorporating mushrooms because then yeah you're going to be getting the fiber but you'll be getting some of that uh, health benefit especially if you're doing like soups and teas and yeah. stuff like that the hot water extraction method so totally. um so that's an important thing. So including mushrooms into your diet on a regular basis uh, is probably the safest way to go, uh, mm-hmm. you know, unless you know you have a trusted brand uh, that you can get that those health benefits from. So then people are foraging. They're in the woods, especially in the Woodstock area. I see people bringing me big mushroom things, and I'm like, I'm not eating that because I don't know what to do. So do you, yeah. have any, do you have any tips for people, like what to look for and like uh, how to do it correctly? Or Yeah, definitely. I mean, find somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, so typically there's most cities have like a local, uh, mycology group, mm-hmm. um, or like a foraging group of some sort. That's kind of mm-hmm. your best bet. Uh, get a guidebook for your local area mm-hmm. and just go out and try and ID them first. Like don't even bother trying to like think about eating them. Just, right. you know, pick them, look it up in your book, um, post in some other, there's like mushroom identification, like Facebook groups. Um, mm-hmm. they're, you know, usually pretty good, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, there's only maybe, I don't know, there's less than 10, maybe like wild mushrooms that you'd really want to eat. Right. Uh, so like, I mean, I was just out the other day picking some chanterelles, uh, like pretty easy one to identify once you know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it tastes amazing. Um, Where are they so, found? What kind of areas? Uh, I think it's, well, I mean, I think they grow all over. Definitely the Pacific Northwest here gets a ton, mm-hmm. uh, but we usually get them in the fall, but we've had a couple big rains this summer that mm-hmm. has kind of brought them out. Um, mm-hmm. It's been like perfect conditions for them, uh, yeah. but I'm pretty sure, yeah, like the Midwest probably gets them too. I mean, the, yeah. the guidebooks would know for sure, um, and yeah, any of the local groups in your area. Uh, you can talk to like your local mushroom growers too, usually like each city has a mushroom farm somewhere, yeah. um, and that's a, a good way to kind of source local mushrooms too, locally grown ones. Like we've got a uh, company starting up here, hopefully soon that's wants to start growing more like shiitake and lion's mane, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, it's really hard to get fresh lion's mane. Um, but yeah, I mean, get a guidebook and you know, if you're unsure, you just don't eat it. You know, right. it's just not, <laughs> please. Not, even, not worth it. Don't, don't buy it from the guy in the green in Woodstock, please. <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess we'll end on this. What's something that 
I haven't asked you that you think people should know about mushrooms. Something that we haven't covered. Yeah, I mean, mushrooms are just like a really awesome food. And I think everyone needs to start getting more familiar with mushrooms. I feel like there's, North America's just got this phobia around mushrooms that for whatever reason, like most of our ancestors from like, you know, Eastern Europe and all those places, they eat mushrooms still. And like lots of, you know, Asia eats tons of mushrooms. Um, why is it here that we've developed this phobia of, you know, like if uh, you go out in the woods and it's like, don't touch it, it might kill you. I mean, it's, it's a safe thing to know, but like we've lost sort of this culture on foraging mushrooms. And I think uh, just working them back into your diet's a, a good way to do it. Whether, even if you're getting them from the grocery store, I mean, try and find some of the more culinary ones cause they definitely taste a lot better. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they're just a really good food source. If you think about, they can grow on just about anything. And so you see a lot of com or countries now growing mushrooms on, you know, they grow on waste materials. And so you can, in areas where it's very hard to grow food, you can grow mushrooms. Uh, and so it's a really great staple food source. Awesome. Sky, I want to thank you for your time here. This has been a pretty thorough beatdown on the mushroom topic. <laughs> and uh, I hope to talk to you again in the future. Like, again, I'm invited uh, Sky here to do webinars with us and potentially more. So hopefully we'll be working together a lot in the future. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Neil. And if anybody wants to check us out, just go have a look at uh, realmushrooms.com. Perfect. Thanks. Thank you, Sky, for your time and expertise. It's great to have Sky on as an expert in the mushroom segment and add him to my posse of uh, supplement quality gurus. You know, the, the big take home for me is just how bad it is in the mushroom kingdom, you know, with the princess and the toadstool and Mario and all those guys. But then also in the supplement space, it's pretty bad. Most mushroom supplements are devoid of mushrooms. That's a crazy concept. Uh, if there are mushrooms there, there's only a few brands that are making it in a way where you're maintaining the integrity of the active constituents. It's nuts. And the big message is always the same message. You're paying for something and they're not giving it to you. Supplements can be awesome, but most of them are kind of shady garbage, right? And these companies, they're just banking on the fact that no one's paying any attention. So, you know, I want to show you what's possible with natural products if we're not only aware, but we push back and demand better. So on the subject of mushrooms, I'm hosting a webinar on mushrooms based in part on the information from Sky and Real Mushrooms. So visit woodstockvitamins.com slash shrooms. That's S-H-R-O-O-M-S. And you got to check out Real Mushrooms. So we're going to be carrying these products from here on out because we love Sky and all the quality that he's done and the transparency that he's bringing. Um, so it's going to be on our site at woodstockvitamins.com. Visit realmushrooms.com to read great content from Sky. And Sky would love to hear from you. So email him, sky, S-K-Y-E, at realmushrooms.com. So that's it for this week. I hope you found this information helpful on your wellness journey. And until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and be well. Thanks. Thanks.